Let's open our Bibles to 1 Kings chapter number 17. We are studying on these Wednesday nights the life of the prophet Elijah. And when we finish that study, we're going to move right into his uh, successor, Elisha. And I'm being blessed in our study. Now, the Bible says that iron sharpens iron. Let's say that together. Iron sharpens iron. And it really does. And when we are around one another... That's one of the blessings of being in church is that we get to be in a setting where hopefully we can sharpen each other and be blessed by each other. Dr. Corey Hines, my dad mentioned, was in town, of course, on Sunday and just did a great job preaching here, the president of Howard Payne University. He got me in a little bit of trouble in that first service. His sermon only lasted about 20 minutes, and it was over. And in the hallway, in the commons, afterwards, everybody kept saying to me, see, John, you can preach a good short sermon. And so I said, man, you've messed me up more than you helped me out. But he did a great job. He and I were talking yesterday evening and just sharing back and forth a little bit of our experience and some of the things, some of the people we know in common and some of the experiences that we've had in life. And he said to me something that I found interesting. He said, you know, John, about three months before I became the president of Howard Payne, I was the, one of the vice presidents at Dallas Baptist University. And he said, one night there at DBU, we had a big meeting. He said, I wasn't preaching on this night. I was, I was giving a lecture and trying. He told me what the nature of it was, but it, it was far from a sermon, but it had to do with student enrollment and, and these type things and trying to get new students into the school. He said, I was just kind of going through the handbook on how things operate at Dallas Baptist University. And he said, after my part on the program was over, a lady came up to me who I had never seen before, and I've never seen since. And she said to me, he was 43 years of age at that time, she said to me, young man, I have a word for you that I believe is from God. You don't know me, I don't know you, but while you were up there speaking tonight, not preaching, just going through a student handbook or the equivalent of that, she said, I felt like God told me to tell you that very shortly, you are going to be given an opportunity to do something. And when you are given that opportunity, you need to say yes. Well, he heard that. He received that. He questioned that. About three months later, Howard Payne University called him and said, we want to talk to you about being the president of our school. And when they started that conversation, his mind went back to what that lady had said to him. You're going to have an opportunity shortly. A door is going to open for you supernaturally. And when it does, walk through it and say yes. Now that doesn't mean that every time somebody comes up and says something to us like that, that they're prophesying over us or that that necessarily is a word from God. Remember this as we've talked, as we've said before, in the Christian life, the only person who gets the last word on our situation is God himself, right? And yet sometimes God will give us a word from another person like that that proves to be somewhat prophetic, and it was in his case. I was, I was interested in that, and we just talked on. And he's telling me some of the things God's done in his life, in his family, in his ministry, and I'm sharing the same. A little later in the conversation, I said to him, separate from what he had said to me, I said, well, you know, one of the greatest blessings that I ever had in my life 
came from somebody I had never met before either. It was a man living in another state. I had never talked to him before this particular phone conversation. I've never talked to him again. In fact, I wouldn't know how to get him on the phone if I wanted to now. But many years ago, he and I were on a phone conversation. I had called a particular place trying to talk to another person. I ended up with this man. He was as close as I could get to the person I wanted to talk to. And he said to me something that has proven to be some of the best advice I've ever received. He said, he didn't even call my name because he didn't know who I was. But he said this. He said, always remember this. In your right response, God is glorified. He said to me, in life, remember this. He said to me, there will be things that happen that you can't control. Things that happen that you don't understand. You can't always control what happens in life, but you can control how you respond to it. And in your right response, God is always glorified. That was so impactful to me that later on that day, I got out the prayer journal that I was using that year, and and I wrote that down. And I shared that with Dr. Hines last night, and I said to him, it's some of the best advice that I've ever received. And I say to you tonight, before we get into the Bible study, that sometimes in life, things will happen. You can't control them. You didn't initiate it. You didn't cause it. It didn't originate with you. It just happened. And yet there is something that you can control. You can control how you respond to it. Now, that said, in 1 Kings chapter 17, we are studying the life, of course, of Elijah, but also of his dealings with a widow in a place called Zarephath. Now, as we saw last week, Zarephath was Gentile country. And uh, Elijah was an Israelite. We would say he was Jewish. He was. But God told him to go to Gentile country, to this particular town, where Baal worship was, was, was prevalent and prominent, and that when he got to this town, there would be a widow. And Elijah said, or God said to Elijah, I have commanded a widow in this Gentile town to feed you, to take care of you. And we studied that last week, and Elijah did what God told him to do. He went to this city, this village, this place, and when he got there, he met this widow, and he said to her, remember, there's a famine in the land, there's a drought, and he said to this widow, would you please bring me a glass of water to drink? And as she went to get the water, he said to her, and while you're getting the water, would you please make me a little, a little cake? a little pound cake that I could eat or some kind of cake. And she said to him, she said, listen, I don't have any, I don't have any bread. She said, all I have is a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, a handful of flour and just a little bit of oil in a jar. And I am going to make a meal for me and for my son. And we're going to eat that meal and we're going to die. This will be our last meal. And instead of Elijah saying to her sympathetically and 
empathetically and compassionately, oh, ma'am, I am so sorry. Tell me how you've come upon this hard time. He said to her, well, while you're making the last meal, bring me that pound cake first. That's what I really want is that pound cake. And we talked about that last week, how he wasn't being insensitive. He was doing, he was saying to her what God had told him to say to her. God had sent him there so that she could feed him. He was just asking her for food, which undoubtedly is what God had told him to do. And so she brought him the cake, the bread, the meal. He ate it. And he said to her, if you'll bring me some cake, some bread, some food, you're going to find that something miraculous takes place in your kitchen. Your pantry will begin to reproduce itself with more flour, and that little jar of oil will replenish itself, and you will not run out of flour, and you will not run out of oil. There'll be plenty of food for you, for your son, and for me. And so that's what she did. And miraculously, in fact, here's where we dropped off last week. In chapter 17, verse 16, the bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. And so when she obeyed what God's servant Elijah told her to do, God miraculously provided food for her and her son, and that did not die, and that was not their last meal. And we built our whole Bible study last week on these three words. Sometimes in life we have a predicament, and when we do, God gives us a promise, a command to obey, and a promise to claim. And when we obey that command and keep that promise, God will always provide some kind of a supernatural provision. Now, I wish, at least I don't wish, but when we read the next verse in this chapter, in the short term, we wish that the story would have just ended with the bin of flour not running out and the uh, jar of oil not running dry. We just wish that's how the story ended, but that's not how it ended. Look in verse 17, because now we pick up with new material. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious, it was so severe, that there was no breath left in him. Literally, he died. Now, we read this, and we're left to wonder, God, why did you let this boy die? You just performed a miracle. You just enabled this lady, his mother, to cook food, and the, 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 the flour's not running out, and the oil is not running dry, and it looks like everybody lives happily ever after. And in the very next verse, the, fella die, the young boy dies. So she said to Elijah, what have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to bring to me, and uh, have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son. Now, back to what I was telling Dr. Hines last night. The advice that man gave me many years ago, you can't always control what happens, but you can control your response. And in your right response, God is always glorified. Now, that makes me think tonight, in fact, I, I titled the message, How Do You Respond When Something Bad Happens? How do you respond when something bad happens? Well, I want us to think just for a moment about how this lady responded because I think in her response, we see how 
people respond and, and sometimes how we ourselves respond. Sometimes people respond, this lady certainly did, by blaming someone else. Notice again what she says in verse 18. She said to Elijah, to Elijah, what have I to do with you? Her son has died, and she's blaming Elijah for it. What have I to do with you? Now, this was the man who had just come into her village and had this conversation, and through him, God had provided food for this lady and for her son, and now her son has died, and she turns it on Elijah and said, what have I to do with you? In other words, Elijah, it's somehow your fault that my son died. Somehow you're behind my son's death. And you know, sometimes in life we do the same thing. Maybe not as overtly as this, but sometimes in life we can have a problem and a situation or something bad happens, and immediately we want to blame somebody else for our problem. And that's never a, a healthy thing to do. Sometimes it may be somebody else's fault. I'm not saying that's not the case. But it's normally not a good idea to start blaming. You remember back in the Garden of Eden, the first sin, first sin. The devil came into that garden in the form of that serpent and, and uh, tempted Eve to sin. And, and then and she in, uh, enticed Adam to eat that fruit. And, and then later in the day, God came walking through the garden in the cool of the day. And, and Adam and Eve hid themselves because upon their committing that sin, they became aware of their nakedness. And now they're ashamed. They had never been ashamed before, but now they're ashamed because they've eaten the forbidden fruit. And God said to Adam, Adam, what have you done eating from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? You remember what Adam said? Adam said, God, this woman, he blamed Eve, but then he blamed God. This woman that you gave me. So God, it's her fault and it's partly your fault because if you hadn't have given me her, I wouldn't have eaten that fruit. And so God said, Eve, what about it? Adam said, it was your fault. What do you say? And Eve said, God, it was that serpent that came into this garden. It was that serpent's fault. And the old preacher joke said, the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on, right? I mean, he didn't have anybody to blame. It was his fault. But you know what? It wasn't just the serpent's fault. It was Adam's fault. And uh, he couldn't blame Eve. I mean, she, she ate it first, but he ate it too. I mean, it was both of their, but it's just human nature when we're going through something hard or bad, we want to blame somebody else. We're looking for somebody to blame. And it's human nature, and it's just what happens. But not only sometimes do people blame other people, sometimes people blame God. And notice what this lady said, kind of like when, he, when Adam said, God, it's this woman whom you gave me. Notice what this lady said to Elijah, what have I to do with you? Now watch this. Oh, man of God. In other words, you're a representative of God. You're a servant of God. You're here because God sent you here. So somehow God is behind the death of my son. And she's blaming God for what has happened. And if we're not careful, we can do that too. You know, one of the dangers, I've said this before. There are always dangers in extremes. Now, it's true that you don't want to be a middle-of-the-road Christian where you're just, uh, you know, one pastor said one time, the only thing you find in the middle of the road is a dead skunk. Well, that's true. If you're just in the middle of the road on everything. But 
take that analogy even farther. The only thing you find in the extremes are the ditches. You're not even on the road. So the middle of the road can be dangerous because you've compromised the Bible and you don't half believe anything. But extremism can be dangerous too. God did not intend for us to drive in the middle of the road and God did not intend for us to try to drive on the ditch in that you can't drive in either, in either place. But one of the dangers with believing in the sovereignty of God, which I believe with all my heart, I believe that God is sovereign. I believe that. I believe Psalm 103 verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. So I believe God is sovereign, but I'm not foolish in my theology. I'm balanced in my theology. I'm not, I'm not in the middle of the road and I'm not in a ditch. I'm balanced. The Bible has a, there's a wonderful balance in the Bible. If you study the Bible, if you read the Bible regularly, uh, you're going to find that there is a wonderful balance in the Bible. Now, if you just start trying to take a verse here and take a verse there, you're going to have a lopsided faith, and you're going to end up in a ditch or in the middle of You're going to end up someplace where it's not you can't drive, and uh, you're either going to get hit and have like that skunk, or you're going to be in the ditch and you can't make any progress. For example, the Bible, notice the balance of the Bible. The Great Commission, go ye therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Go, get out there and share your faith. But there's another place in the Bible, in Proverbs, that says, uh, a fool's mind is on the ends of the earth. Now, which is it? Are we supposed to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel? Or are we supposed to take care of business here at home? Both. But if you just took either one of those, if you just said, well, all I'm supposed to do is go out there everywhere telling everybody how to be saved, you might neglect some responsibilities that you have here. But if you only focus on the fool's minds on the end of the earth and say, I've got to take care of business at home, you're going, to regl- you're going to neglect your responsibility to go beyond the walls of this church. So the Bible is very symmetric. The Bible is very balanced. And so there, there's some who reject the biblical teaching of the sovereignty of God because they see bad things happening and they say, God cannot be in control because to them what that means is when something bad happens, God made it happen. You see, if you believe in the sovereignty of God, as I do, but if you don't believe in the free will of man, as we should because that is also in the Bible, you just believe in the sovereignty of God, you create a monster out of God and you begin, you're now blaming God for 9-11 you're blaming God for, for terrorist attacks. You're blaming God if you got a bad doctor's report. Well, God's sovereign, that means, no, God's sovereign, yes. But that doesn't mean that God caused Adam and Eve to sin. Some people go so far off on, on one, they take, they take one truth and they make it the only truth. And when you take a truth in the Bible and make it an only truth and neglect other truths in the Bible, now you're teaching something that's not even true. You're teaching a half-truth. You're teaching the half-truth as the whole truth, and now what you're teaching is no longer the truth. And so for somebody to say, there's some who go so far as to say, well, uh, the reason Judas Iscariot is in hell tonight 
Hades, eventually he'll be in hell, is because he was predestined by God to be there. No, he wasn't. Judas is not in hell tonight because God, didn't, because God predestined him to go to hell. Did God know that he would commit that? Did God know? Judas is not even in hell tonight because he betrayed Jesus. Judas is in hell tonight because he never repented of his sins and received Jesus. Judas is in hell because he never was saved. And it's not God's fault that Judas wasn't saved because Judas, just like you and me, had a free will. And yet with his free will, he chose not to repent of his sins and he chose not to be a true follower of Christ. You say, yes, but the sovereignty of God, if God is really sovereign, that means that God has predestined Judas to go to hell. No, it doesn't. Because God has given Judas, and he gave Judas the same thing he's given you and he's given me, and that is a free will. And the Bible says God, listen to this, is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the sovereignty of God, to me, is a very comforting, because here's what the sovereignty of God means. The sovereignty of God means God is very much in control, but God is not responsible for our sins. I can't go out here tonight and sin and do something wrong and and say, well, God's sovereign. You know, God could have stopped me. Well, God could have stopped me, but God gave me a free will. And so here we we get a, a tremendous insight on how a distorted view of God can negatively affect our faith. A proper, balanced understanding of the sovereignty of God is that God is sovereign. God is in control. God doesn't cause bad things to happen. If something bad happens, that does mean God has allowed it. If God allows it, there must be a good purpose for it. We don't understand always why God has allowed it, but we accept it and we believe it. I see my neighbor on the back row tonight, Carol Potts. I told you about his sweet wife, Cassie, who went to be with the Lord just a few weeks ago. And uh, my, one of my last conversations was Ka- with Cassie. She said to me, John, I had the cancer diagnosis. I went to the hospital to get surgery, to get the cancer cut out. They couldn't get it out. They said there's nothing they can do. She said, I don't understand it. It's not what I've prayed for. But I believe with all my heart that God is absolutely in control. And she said, I, here's what she said to me. I accept this as part of God's plan and part of God's will for my life. And she died loving Jesus in perfect peace. Why? Because her faith was right. Why was her faith right? Because her theology was right. It was balanced. She didn't go off on one extreme at the expense of the other. And so this lady, this widow is saying to Elijah, what have I to do with you, oh man of God? It's God's fault that my son died. No, it wasn't God's fault. And it's not God's fault when, uh, when, when we sin. And it's not God's fault if somebody goes to hell. We have a free will. There's some, somebody asked a great preacher one time, how do you reconcile the sovereignty of God, and the free will of man. And that pastor wisely said, I never try to reconcile friends. 
sovereignty of God and the free will of men are not in opposition to each other. But you take that sovereignty of God. I know churches today who won't give an invitation after the sermon because their idea is whoever is chosen to be saved will be saved. There's no need for us to give an invitation. They'll just eventually get saved. Well, how opposite of that is it to the New Testament where over and over again, we're having the invitation, whosoever will may come. Jesus said, let, the, let them come to me. The person who comes to me, I'll not cast out. Revelation twenty two seventeen, 17, the last invitation in the Bible, the spirit and the bride say, come and let him who thirst come and all who desire to drink of the water of life, let him come freely that he may receive it and that he may be saved. And so, yes, God is sovereign. Yes, God knows And yet, we have a responsibility. We'll never fully understand it until we get to heaven. But all of that to say, this woman is now blaming God for the death of her son instead of, and that's understandable. When we lose people we love, we have these feelings sometimes, and God understands that. I'm just saying God is not to be blamed. And then notice what else she did. She blamed herself. And sometimes when bad things happen, that's what we do. And the more sincere you are, the more likely you are to to blame yourself. Notice what she said to Elijah. Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? Now, we don't know what sin she's talking about. We have no idea. This is all we know. She said to Elijah, have you come to me? She recognized him as a man of God. She recognized his holiness And in the light of his holiness, her own unholiness, and she said, have you come to bring bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And now she's blaming herself. And you know what? I would venture to say that for those listening tonight at home and for those in this worship center, you've got too good of theology to blame God for your problems, although sometimes we do ask God, if you're sovereign, why would you let that happen? I mean, that's, that's an honest question. That's fair. God can handle that question. Sometimes we blame others. I would venture to say tonight that most of the people in this room, when you go through something bad, being a sincere, dedicated Christian in church on Wednesday night, you might be tempted to do this. Well, it must be my fault. In some, in, in, I'm, I've done something. And maybe you have. I mean, sometimes we, bring out, we, we make our own problems. But you know what? Sometimes we don't. Sometimes it's not us. But this lady was now beginning to think, maybe it's my own sin. Maybe I'm going through this because God is dealing with me about some sin in my life. Now, look, when we go through difficulty, it's probably always wise to say, God, is there anything that I have done that has brought this on? Because if there is, and, and sometimes we know there is, we don't even have to ask. But I'm saying if you can't think of anything, just ask God. And if he reveals something to you, then you can repent of that and, and get right with God. But if he doesn't reveal something and you're not aware of anything, don't necessarily conclude that you are having a problem because you have committed some sin. It's not always the way that it is. But that's one of the ways that we sometimes respond to tragedies. But the wisest way to respond to tragedies is this, by being led by the Word of God, by just getting a word from God and letting Him tell us what to do now. In other words, we may not know what caused the illness, what caused the tragedy, what caused the death, what caused the problem. We may or may not ever know that. 
But that's really not the most important thing. The most important thing is where do we go from here? What do I do now? I don't, if I'm taking a road trip and I'm, I, I take a wrong turn somewhere and, I, get, and, and I'm, I don't have any idea where I am, the most important thing is not where did I get off the road or take the wrong turn. The most important thing is how can I get back going in the right direction? <laughs> so anyway, look here in verse uh, number 19, what Elijah said to her, give me your son. Now he is a man of God. He is speaking for God. So he took him up out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where she was staying and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, have you also... Now look, Elijah is the man of God. Now look, what he's, his, he doesn't even understand what is happening. Have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? Elijah is, is thinking God killed the boy. And he stretched himself out on the child three times... And cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. Now, what are we supposed to learn from this story? Let me just mention three things tonight. First of all, hopefully... We've already learned when we are experiencing something bad or difficult or even a tragedy in our life, we shouldn't blame other people, and we shouldn't blame God. Remember this about God. This is why I'm saying you, you have to have a balanced theology. God means you no harm. God means you nothing but good. God is good. God is love. God has no desire to make you or your life miserable. God has a desire to bless you. Now, sometimes he allows us to go through difficulties to refine our faith and to teach us. But this idea that, that, that God is, is causing all these horrible things to happen. Uh, now, God, there's sometimes there's judgment. God sends judgment. But I'm saying for the child of God who's living in the will of God and trying to walk hand in hand with God, God, is, God is, is not that way. God is a good God. And, so, and we certainly don't want to blame God for when we sin because that would be our responsibility. And we don't want to always blame ourselves. We want to get a word from God and move forward. But what lessons can we learn from this? I've mentioned three. Number one, sometimes we simply don't know why bad things happen. We just don't know. Sometimes we, we, we don't know why bad things happen. One night, just a few nights ago, I had the television on, and there was a pastor preaching. I'd never heard of this pastor. I've never heard of his church. It's, for, it's, in, a, it's in a city in Georgia. I've heard of the city, but I know nothing about the city. I've never been to the city. And he was preaching on the life of Job, and we're all familiar with Job's story. Most of us are. And he had the best outline that I've ever heard on Job in my whole life. And I thought, in fact, it was so good, I wrote it down and I said, I'm going to preach that myself one of these days. And I wrote his name down, so whenever I preach it, I give him credit. But his, his name was uh, Bishop, he's a, he goes by Bishop Dale Bronner. And his, his four points on Job's life were, we, we need to remember this. When we go through hard times, there's a bigger picture, there's a bigger purpose, 
there's a bigger process and there's a bigger payoff at the end in our own faith. And I thought, that is the best explanation. But he was saying the same thing that I'm saying here tonight. Sometimes in life, we simply don't know why bad things happen. It's just a mystery. There's some things God reveals to us. There's some things God conceals from us. There's some things God conceals now and reveals later. There's some things God will never reveal until we get to heaven. It's a mystery. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord. The next verse says, but those things which have been revealed belong to us. Sometimes a mystery is revealed. Sometimes a mystery is concealed. But there's some, I'm convinced there's some things that we will never understand until we get to heaven. The old song had it right. Try, uh, well, I forgot it, but it was a beautiful song. <laughs> Trial, trials, Pam can help me. Trials hard on every every hand, and we do not understand how our blessed Lord would lead us onward to the promised land. But we'll follow with our, it's a great song, and I'm going to look that up for next week. But the end of it, I should just quote the line. I'll try to give you the backstory. We'll understand it better by and by. We will. We'll understand it better by and by. My high school football coach died last Thursday. He's one of the greatest Christian men I ever knew. He was my football coach. He was my Sunday school teacher. He was a deacon in the church where I grew up. And about 10 years ago, he developed dementia. I don't understand that. I do not understand it. I'm going to tell this on a Sunday later on when I'm trying to make a different point. But I feel so loose. I always feel comfortable out here. But on Wednesday night, I feel like I can sometimes say more just to have a little more time. But um, for about the last 10 years, I've had it on my heart to write my coach and thank him for the blessing that he's been in my life. And it's one of those things, sometimes you just have an impression, write him a letter. Thank him. And I said to myself, every time I had that thought, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I'm ashamed to say I never did it. And I've already talked to God about that. And I said, God, I can't talk to Coach Poe now. He's in heaven. And maybe with his dementia diagnosis, if I want to give myself an out, maybe that made me think that he might, you know, maybe the letter would not have been as a blessing to him. I don't know. I I should have written it because God kept telling me to write it. I have no excuse. I said, God, if you would just tell Coach Poe what a blessing he was to me. And when I get to heaven, I'll tell him myself. Well, Today, I got his son's phone number. I grew up with his son, Toby. We played ball together, went to school together. And uh, I didn't have his cell. We had a touch. We've been out of touch for 30 years. But a friend got me his cell number, and I called Toby today, and, and, and he didn't answer because he wouldn't recognize my number. But I left him a message, and I said, Toby, I told him what I just told you. I said, I loved your daddy, and I loved your mom. And uh, I, I, I have a regret with your father. I regret that I never wrote him a letter to tell him what a blessing he was to me. And I said, so I've already asked God to tell him, but you're the closest I, you're the closest I can get to him now on earth, and I want you to know your daddy was a blessing in my life. I guess if we're doing a little sermon in addition to the sermon, it might be to me and to all of us when you have an impression from God to tell somebody thank you, thank them while you can. 
And I, I have some regret over that. But anyway, I think I've made peace with God and I'll be fine. But the point is, sometimes we don't know why bad things happen. I don't know why Coach Poe got, got dementia. That just doesn't make any sense to me. And, and we've all had things. We say, God, I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. doesn't seem fair. doesn't seem right. I know you're sovereign. See, there, let's go back to that sovereignty of God. I don't believe for one second that God calls Coach Poe get dementia no say well why did he get it I don't know I know this in addition to all the other things sin and everything listen folks we live in a fallen world and these bodies of ours are frail and the scripture says our outer person the outer man is perishing day by day but our inner man is being renewed I don't understand why my neighbor got cancer why my coach got dementia I don't understand a lot of things in life. But listen, I heard Chuck Swindoll say this years ago, peace doesn't come from understanding. Peace comes from trusting God with those things we don't understand. I, think so, I've, I have felt this way before. I have felt like, God, if you could just help me understand why this happened, I think I could handle it better. And... You know, sometimes God will give you an insight or something else. But I think more often than not, in my case, if God has chosen not to tell me why something happened, it's just like God has said, you don't need to understand. You know, Proverbs 3, 5, our childhood verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now watch this, and lean not to your own what? To your own understanding. Why? Because sometimes our understanding fails us. I think sometimes God would say to us in response to that, if you were as smart as I am, I would explain it to you. But my ways are so much higher, my ways won't fit in your mind. It, just, it would just cause you a short circuit in your brain. And so you're going to have to just trust, trust in the Lord. Sometimes we don't know. We don't know why this boy died. The Bible doesn't tell us. We just know that he died. Number two, for the child of God, the bad things that happen to us, Never get the last word. I don't understand why Vi Cooper is in ICU tonight having difficulty breathing with blood clots, lungs. I don't understand that. Vi Cooper is one of the best Christians I've ever known in my life. She had, she had developed, well, I won't go into that, what happened to her physically, but I but I know, the, and, and we, Vi's, we're praying for Vi's healing. I'm not saying that anything other than that. We're praying for her healing and her turnaround. But I'm saying in the case of this boy, for the child of God, the bad things that happen to us never get the last word. What do we read in this story? That God used Elijah to raise this boy back to life again. You know what that says to us? It says that for the child of God, death doesn't get the last word. I'll tell you something tonight I haven't told anybody. But this is an insight God gave me a few weeks ago, and I wrote it down in one of my books at home. And I think, it, I think if you have recently lost somebody you love, this could, this could be what I'm about to say. If you didn't get anything else out of everything I've said tonight, which hopefully you would say, John, we got tons of stuff out of what you said tonight. But if you didn't get anything out of this, you'll get something out of this. God impressed this on my heart several weeks ago. Every human life must end. And that's the first thought. 
Second thing is this, and this is really what helped me. It was what was a blessing to me. In order for there to one day be an eternal reunion with our loved ones in heaven, which is what we all want, right? There must first be a temporary separation. Now you think about that. Like here we are tonight. We've come to church on Wednesday night. We're having a great service, and it's just about over. But when this service is over, we've come together so we can be together. But what are we going to do when this is over? We're going to tell each other goodbye. See you later. See you Sunday. I mean, unless you live with the person you came with, you're fixing to tell somebody goodbye in, in, in about six minutes. Our whole lives are goodbye. Hello and goodbye. Hello and goodbye. You know, one of the great things about heaven, there'll be no more goodbyes. It's an eternal reunion with our loved ones. But in order for us to get in a place where we never have to say goodbye again, there has to first be a temporary separation that can be very painful and very difficult. But it is through that that we put ourselves in a position to be reunited again. And that's what happened here with this mother and her son. He died. She grieved, and in her own way, she told him goodbye. Now, in this case, it wasn't very long before they got back together. But God used Elijah to bring that bull back to life again. And theirs was not an eternal separation because he eventually died again and she died. But I'm saying tonight, when we lose a loved one, we need to remember that in order for there to be an eternal reunion, there must first be a temporary separation. Something about that doesn't take the pain away, but it helps put it in a good perspective. And the last thing we learn from this whole story, it is often through the bad things that happen in life that we come to a deeper, more personal faith in God. You look back in your own life, when have you grown the most, on the mountain or in the valley? In the valley. What do we like the most? The mountain. But where do we grow the most? In the valley. Now, God knows we can't always be in the valley, so he takes us up on the mountain. But he knows we don't always need to be in the mountain. So he takes us sometimes or lets us go back in the valley. Let's close with verse 24 tonight. Notice how this story ended. Then the woman said to Elijah, now watch this. Now, by this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. This Gentile lady has now placed her faith in the God of Elijah. And she is saying, by this I know. In my Bible, I have those four words underlined. By this I know. And she said that you're a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. In other words, she's saying, I recognize that you're a man of God. But in order for her to recognize that he was a man of God, she had to also recognize that there is a God and that Baal is not that God. It is the God of Elijah. It is the God of heaven. But she said, by this I know. You know, I look back on my own life and I can say tonight, I can say this, but this is my testimony. This I know. This I know that I'm saved. This I know that my sins are forgiven. This I know that I'm heaven bound. This I know. But I'll tell you what. You know how I came to know all that in some valleys because it was in the valleys of it is in the valleys of life and it's been in some of the valleys of my life that my faith has become 
deeper and more personal and more real and more focused in Jesus and, uh, and more impacting in my own life than it would have been had I never been through a valley. So this last lesson tonight, don't skip over that. It's often through the bad things in life that we come to a deeper, more personal faith in God. If you're going through a difficulty tonight, just pray that God, through this, will deepen your faith and that God will teach you to trust Him in ways you never have before. Amen? Father, I thank you that you always get the last word, even on the bad things in life. Lord, we confess our own ignorance tonight, our own lack of understanding. We don't know why things happen sometimes. And Lord, that's what faith is for, to trust you during those seasons. And so I pray for the person tonight who is going through a difficult time in their life, that you would help them to trust you, to depend on you, and just to say to you, God, I don't understand it. The sovereignty of God, the free will of man, <laughs> the fact that we live in a fallen world, I, don't, I believe all of it. I don't fully understand any of it. But I believe it. I take it by faith. And I choose tonight to trust you and to know that you will get the last word. Lord, for those we've loved and lost on earth, we know that they're in heaven with you tonight if they were saved. And we know that we'll see them again if we are saved. And we're just having a temporary separation that will ultimately lead to an eternal reunion. So tonight, in your own words, would you just say, God, with this now in my life, I trust you. I trust you. God, it's hard, it's lonely, it's painful, it's confusing. But it's an opportunity to trust you and to grow in my faith. God, help us to have a balanced and biblical theology, not where we believe parts of the Bible, but where we believe it all. And God, help us to have a faith in you that says, even now, even though, even if, I choose to trust God with all my heart. If you've never been saved, you can pray tonight this prayer. You need to pray this prayer. You have a responsibility to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, forgive my many sins. Come into my heart. Wash those sins away with the blood of Jesus. Tonight, I turn away from those sins to go in a different direction, to live a different kind of life. I ask you to save me. I trust you to do it.